A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, you're listening to me with another brilliant episode of Wellness with Liz Earle. And it is brilliant because today I am so delighted to be joined by an absolute icon, a legend in her field, literally her field actually, because Sarah Raven is not only a gardener, she's a cook, a writer, television presenter. You may know her better for BBC programmes in the past, such as Bees, Butterflies and Blooms, The Great British Garden Revival, or her many, many appearances on Gardener's World and Gardener's Question Time. An inspirational cookery writer, her book, Sarah Raven's Garden Cookbook, won the Guild of Food Writers' very prestigious cookery book of the year in 2011. And her latest book, Good Good Food, is one of my own bookshelf favourites. Over the years, she's built up a super impressive garden and bulb growing empire from Perch Hill, her home in Sussex. Sarah, a huge welcome to my very humble well-being studios in comparison to all of those amazing things. Oh, thank you. It's so lovely to be here. So I'm going to start by going right back to the beginning. And you were born in Cambridge to highly academic parents. I think your father was a classics don at King's College. Is that he right? was, that's right. You went on to study history at Edinburgh and then you went on to train as a doctor. I did, so in London. Massive brain. What led you then up the garden path, as it were, to where we are now? We have to get one thing right first, is I don't have a massive brain. <laughs> I have a great, a great sort of thirst for knowledge. I, could, I, I think I could be the perpetual student. Um, but no, what happened is I had, first of all, one child and Rosie, who is now 24. And when I was working on the wards, in fact, I'd moved out to, to Sussex by then, to East Sussex. And I was commuting in to the hospital in Brighton. And so often I'd be leaving at, I was working in a renal ward, which we have very early ward rounds. And so I'd be leaving at sort of quarter to seven in the morning, often by which time the baby wasn't awake and I'd get home at eight o'clock in the evening, often by which time she was already asleep. Mm. And I just thought, um, this doesn't seem quite right, really. Um, I'm living in the most beautiful place with a man that I love very much, with a baby that I love very much, and I'm not sort of seeing any of it. You're not there. Mm. And so then, um, so I started thinking and and then um, got pregnant with our second daughter, Molly, and then I just thought, okay, this is, mm. this is the opportunity to take five years out, initially, I thought, but I'm not very good at doing nothing. And so I immediately, um, while I was on that maternity leave, just started growing flowers, um, literally in a little patch, um, sort of very much around the children and sort of being with them. Um, and it started by being 12 foot by 12 foot patch. And uh, that was quite successful. I had very, very heavy clay soil. So, But the next year I just I divided it up into plots that were then a yard by a yard. It wouldn't be that now. 
um, a meter by a meter. And um, and I tried 12 different plants and I measured, because I was a bit of a nerd scientist, so I measured how many buckets I got from each of those plots comparing the 12 different things. And I found that some things I got one bucket bucket over the whole season and other things I got 50 buckets. My goodness, buckets pack. of flowers. Yeah. And that was a cosmos, actually, cosmos purity. And so I realised that there was something very different in these plants. And then, again, a bit of the scientist, mm. I mean, it wasn't difficult, actually. One of the groups of plants are cut and come again, so that if you pick above a, a pair of leaves um, and not down to the ground, you get this thing called auxiliary buds forming. So you take out the leader and the auxiliary buds then form above the leaf. And that is next week's flower and the flower the week after. And it will literally grow another flower on that stalk. Yes, exactly or two or three or whatever. And so it, it, the lower you cut in a plant, the longer you delay the reflowering. So right. if you just cut the top section... Nibble the top off. You will get a, a flower within three days. Amazing. If you cut, you know, 18 inches down, you'll get a flower within 10 days and so on. Obviously, it varies from plant to plant a little bit. But so I just started experimenting with that. So harvesting techniques and different plants and just got um, very excited by it because it was so different compared mm. to, say, a peony, which were things that we all loved uh, and still do, um, and are a sort of classic cut flower that you think, you know, there could be nothing nicer. I'm moving to the country. I'm going to grow a field of peonies. Actually, it turned out, of course, that peonies were, were a disastrous crop in terms of productivity, and also they take three years to crop from mm. when you plant, whereas something like a cosmos or a zinnia or a... You know, there's a little salvia called Salvia viridis blue, or Cerinthia honeywort, which is also good for bees. All those from seed to flower is 12 weeks, and then they crop for 20 weeks, a lot of them. Um, so for four months, and you're getting this incredible productivity. So 50, 60 buckets per square meter. Gosh, and you don't have to have a huge garden. You can do it in a in a in a bed. Can you do it Literally. in boxes and tubs yeah, as you well? You, you, I mean, if if I didn't have a garden I would still have a, a meter square little pot on my balcony or on you know um, mm. on the doorstep and I would I would just grow three of the most productive plants and that would still give me flowers you know from July until November with the first frost gosh and you are known I think as the dahlia queen because that's become such a, a passion of yours isn't it and these amazing colors these sort of almost black chocolatey looking dahlias yes um I do love dahlias. I, I actually moved on from annual um, cut flowers. I moved on to dahlias because I realised in a, in a, the same sort of way. I actually went to um, Monet's garden at Giverny in France. And I, I sort of, 20 years ago, we all hated dahlias. Yes. And um, I remember I went very, very early one morning when I was writing the book The Bold and Brilliant Garden with Jonathan Buckley, the photographer I tend to work with. And we got the clock change wrong. So it must have been in October. And so we arrived an hour earlier than we thought because um, it was a Sunday morning because we wanted to be there when there weren't lots of members of the public early. And um, as the sun came up, there was incredible scents everywhere, sort of autumnal scents, but these unbelievable black dahlias. And this dahlia that I had always hated dahlias, but I fell in love with this particular dahlia called mm. Rip City, which is huge and just sort of a, as near as black velvet as any plant can give you, really. Incredible. Um, and so I bought a plant back thinking oh I'm not sure about this but it is rather amazing and again I planted it in the spring did the same experiment seeing how many buckets I would get per square meter and it wasn't quite as many it was 30 um that's a lot of buckets yeah though. and so then I just thought right so then I went off to Holland and um 
and looked for another 20 dahlias that I thought looked interesting and did the same experiment. Mm. Um, and again, they vary a little bit, but they're basically 20 to 30 buckets per square metre with dahlias. And so since then, I mean, that was maybe, yeah, I think that was nearly 20 years ago. Um, I've just gone on and on experimenting. And interestingly, that you bring up about colour, because I have been quite influenced recently by young florists, people um, like Sarah Rhiannon at Saipur in Brooklyn mm -hmm. in the States and Florette Flower um, in Washington State. And over here too, um, people like Blue Carrot and uh, Melissa Richardson at Jam Jar Flowers and uh, Juliet Glaives, uh, who's the most wonderful florist who works a lot with films. Uh, they have all been working with the bridal palette a lot because, of course, that's the main work of a florist. It's a sort of bread and butter. But they've all got really bored with white and blue and a sort of bit of primrose. And so they actually have pushed the colour palette of cut flowers really strongly into a new realm of kind of warm tones, sort of quite sophisticated, uh, smoky, almost greys mm, and gosh. cafe au lait, you know, kind of milky yes. coffee, uh, peach, but not sweety, sickly peach. You know, again, it's got to be a bit smoky through it. Um, and and apricot similarly, but it's got to have something else going through it rather than pure apricot and mixing those with these dark, rich colours. And it, it sort of feels slightly autumnal, but also it's got enough springness in it, if you know mm. what I mean. It's not heavy like the autumn colours. And so I've been recently um, to Holland to look for more dahlias in that palette. Gosh, And lovely. it's exciting. So it's sort of the whole time it's almost like the favourite bit of what I do is um, it, it sort of sounds too um, pretentious in a way to say it's like a fashion designer, but it is almost like I go and find my materials and my colour palettes and then I bring them back and put them together the following year. So I'm doing that sort of step one of that, which is I've just selected 30 new varieties to grow next spring in this new, quite new to me palette. Um, and there are a few varieties like Labyrinth and Café au lait. There's actually a daily called I that. love Café au lait. And for yeah. anybody who hasn't seen it, it almost looks like a huge sunburst yeah. or a sort of lion's mane because yeah. it is this it's massive flower head, isn't it? With yeah. this beautiful, soft, peachy, apricot-y colour. Yeah. And that's the other thing is that whereas flower forms, cut flower forms, have been quite masculine in a funny way, and so the black dahlias are quite sort of pointy and mm. quite sort of formal in a way. I don't know why I think that's masculine, but the thing of, of these new ones is that they're really curvaceous and huge and sort of bosomy and and so overtly feminine, mm. which has been so unfashionable. And now, really, that's changing. Things are softening. It's all the kind of vintage thing, isn't it? It's a sort of soft, grey smokiness mm -hmm. of, the, of the sort of fashion of, of, of the vintage thing and the 70s, you know, those, whole, those sort of more organic colours, you know, things like khaki, you know, which, were, you know, five years ago we'd all think was so dowdy. And mm. turmeric, you know, these all mm. these more organic colours, they're all coming back too. What but about it's... the greens, the lime greens and those sort of sharp, almost sort of chartreuse you know, green? Yes. I've seen, would they be in zinnias or cosmos? Yes. You've got a green, haven't uh, you? That's... Zinnias, definitely. And yeah, they are, as, but again, I think the tone of those, if you want to stay really... Um, at the forefront of fashion is getting a little softer rather than mm -hmm. those, you know, that chrysanthemum called shamrock, which you'll find in um, a lot of florists Quite in the winter. Quite a small bud, is it? Uh, it's really spidery and very Oh, thin I know. Petals yes, yes, lovely. Very sharp green. Mm. That is beautiful, but that is sort of almost becoming 
a tiny bit yesterday's story, and then yep. slightly more muted greens. Like mm-hmm. this, there's a new zinnia called Benares Giant Lime, which has just got a little bit of of, of whiteness through that very very sharp acid green, and those are the ones that really seem mm. to be on the up. It's just everything being mixed with a little bit of smoke, a little bit of grey, a little bit of um, kind of mushroom almost, you mm-hmm. know. Uh, the lovely thing be... about these flowers is that they really seem to last as well in the vase. So, you know, you can get almost of 10 days of, yeah. of life out of make, making them incredibly good value. Is there any, any sort of particular tips to making plants last? Do you use flower food and that kind of thing in your vases? Well, um, the, the most important thing is when you pick them, and particularly with dahlias that actually aren't so long lasting this is so important so you want to pick in the morning or the evening and then you want to bring them in and sear the stem end just so literally just an inch at the bottom of the stem into boiling water so i literally boil the kettle fill a coffee mug with that boiled water and plunge the stem why do you do in. that so what it does is you just do it for five seconds and it it basically sears it and it increases the surface area of water absorption and it, it, it basically increases the surface of the xylem, which is the capillary water uptaking system, just like our... Um, so that whole... medical training is just yeah. so relevant, isn't it? Um, and, and it also shoots an air bubble out the bottom, and you'll see the air bubbles really? coming out. So it does these sort of two things. And what that means is that there's just a better water uptake to the flower. And the other thing is you want to remove almost all the foliage, because, of course... That has to be supported by the water. So the less demand there is on the stem, the more the, the longer the flower lasts. And then, um, as for flower food, I find, because um, at home I, I have a septic tank rather than on the mains, I don't want to use endless bleaches. Mm. So we use clear vinegar. Um, and so in really? my flower water, I just do a good slosh. So I have a big barrel of clear um, distilled vinegar and I just put a slosh of that in but if you don't worry about using bleach then just the, literally just half a teaspoon of uh, of a thin bleach into a litre of water will then decrease bacterial reproduction so you won't mm-hmm. then get the bacteria munching away on the stem end and mm. forming that slime yeah. and of course slime and water uptake is not good news so that's what kills the flower there's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from noom like evan who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds salads generally for most people are the easy button right for me that wasn't an option i never really was a salad guy that's just not who i am but noom worked for me get your personalized plan today at noom.com real noom user compensated to provide their story in four weeks, the typical new user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems. 
But getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. What about splitting the stems like you do with roses? I wouldn't do that. I would do the searing. Just the searing. So it does exactly mm. the same thing, but because it's going into boiling water, um, it is sterile, so it actually kills the bugs there. Whereas if oh, you course, if yeah. you hammer or cut, mm. you're causing more cell damage, and so you get a higher surface area for the bacteria to so get So even into. roses, would you... I would see a roses, yeah. Gosh. Yeah, definitely. Interesting. That's a fantastic tip. And just last thing on that um, is that if you've got a soft stem, like, for instance, bluebells, I grow bluebells in the garden for picking in the spring, I give them literally three seconds, but something like a rose, I give 20 seconds because it's woodier. Mm-hmm. And so it just takes a bit more time mm. to for the boiling water to get through um, and to have its effect. So you sear proportional to the length of time proportional to the texture of the stem Mm, fantastic i'm going to come back to something you said about being with the man you love and setting up your family because you're married to adam nicholson whose family home is sissinghurst yes and that extraordinary history there with vita sackville west the gardening poet part of the bloomsbury group was that also influential in setting up your own garden Funnily enough, not. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, people would think that that's the yeah. obvious connection, perhaps. I um, I did. Uh, I already had given up medicine and set up my business before, in fact, we moved to Sissinghurst. Although, of course, I had the children with Adam, so I had met him. But we were living in London um, to start with but and then moved to Sussex. So Sissinghurst came in kind of quite late in the story, if mm. you see what I mean. But... Um, and funnily enough, when we lived there, everybody said, oh, it must be such an inspiration to be sort of living in the space of Vita Sackville West. And funnily enough, when we were actually there, it was not intimidating, but I didn't want to become her. So mm. I consciously kept, I didn't read her writing. Um, I, I didn't look at the photo albums because I sort of almost worried that I would morph into everything Vita in a way. Yes. And so only when I knew that we were leaving did I start reading a lot and just then of course totally got obsessed by her and loved her and admi- no, I don't know about loved her admired her mm. enormously because she has the most incredible eye both in terms of interiors and gardens so of course her interiors which I was lucky enough to have lived in for nine years um are as as rich and sort of embossed and romantic and 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 sort of atmospheric and authentic as of course her gardens are um, and then, in fact, I was so sort of moved by it. I wrote a book, getting her writing, and then sort of bringing it up to date with varieties and things. And so it's mainly written mm. by her, but I sort of edited um, quite a lot of her letters and mm. her articles for the Observer. And it was a really wonderful thing to do because it suddenly I could learn about the place that I'd been living in and almost blocking out because I wanted it to be our home rather than yes. a sort of showpiece in yeah. a way. 
Something I really admire with your work is the use of colour and not being afraid to bring bright, bold, clashing colours together and not being afraid to take a, a beautiful flower and cut it right down so there's a tiny bit of stem but put it in this beautiful, tiny little vase and arrange them all on the table. I mean, that's just so creative. Has that something that's always been with you or has that evolved? Funnily enough, my mother, um, who still lives just outside Cambridge in the garden that I was brought up in, um, in Shepworth, she always had, she always sat in the same place um, in our kitchen with the phone and her work sort of in front of her. And she would always have a few little bud vases on this huge, big, lovely old oak table. And I think that went in from an early mm. age, which is I've always loved quite glamorous flowers cut very short so that you've got this really intimate relationship with them. They're not sort of big show-offy things over there. They're kind of really part of your intimate life. On a dining table, they're literally right in front of you, yeah. so with you. Yeah, and on your desk where you yes. work. And I always, always try and have flowers on my desk of something just I will have walked out to let the chickens out or something and just seen one flower and the great thing about that is it's very unconsumptive of of flowers so you know mm. you can have that one and it'll last five or six days and then have something else and you know if I've got people coming I'll do lots more than that but just for me on a daily basis that's what I love and that's why actually winter which we're in now is is in a way one of my favorite seasons mm. because there's so little choice yes you really notice that incredible crocus or that amazing scented daphne or that you know wonderful little baby iris reticulata or something and then bring it in and it's right with you as you're sort of typing away writing something or on the phone um and I love that really, really close, intimate thing where you really look at the colour of its stamens and, you know, the, the falls as it goes down into the centre of the petal, leading the insects into the nectaries mm. and all that kind of stuff, which you just don't really notice when there's a great brouhaha yes. in June. Yeah, yeah. Something that you've really inspired me to do over the years is to develop a cutting garden. And I think people will know you for Sarah Raven's cutting garden and that whole idea of having flowers as a crop Yes. And planting perhaps in a veg patch, interspersing flowers and veg together. Yeah. Is that something that you're doing more of, your, your cutting garden work? Yes, uh, very much so. I mean, I'm always um, doing, I'm always growing new things. And, and again, that's one of the things I love is traveling and finding new varieties. I mean, I've just been in America recently where they grow tons and tons, a huge range of different zinnias. And with, you know, there are too many terrible terrible things about climate change but one of the good things is in gardening you can now grow things that we really didn't used to be able to grow so easily and dahlias are one of the things i leave in the ground now and just mulch them so you don't lift your tubers no. you just leave them in yeah. what and how many years will they last for ever really i mean they'll, they'll just go on and on. yeah as long as you put them under six inches of a dry compost they'll go on and on and 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 that's the the whole zinnia thing um is very much driven um by the Americans and and I love that I love finding something from kind of Holland and from America and then from our own native flora and kind of putting them together and having them in a cutting mm. patch and then really I love the slightly sciencey side which is really analyzing how good actually was it because mm. sometimes you bring things back and it's over in you know four weeks mm. and that's hopeless you know most people who haven't got the time or the space to to give up to, to something that's so fleeting yes and so I really want to find people the best of the best and that's yeah. what really excites me yeah I'm loving some of this sculptural veg and you know things like um ornamental cabbages yes. that look like roses I yeah mean, they're they just are. extraordinary and good so I mean, I'm kind of into mm. 
just unusual and even bringing things in like artichokes yes which i've seen in your arrangements yeah, too they're so great and um and at the moment we've got lots of vines which to be honest in this country grapes don't make great eating but they make such beautiful additions to a flower arrangement if you've got a stem with it sort of coming out um over the side of a bowl or something and sweet corn similarly there's this beautiful uh, sweet corn which is it's a popping corn so you can pop it but it's called strawberry corn and it's the most lovely dark luscious burgundy and genuinely lasts three or four years i mean i've had some for three or four years and they're, they're not moldy they look like the well, day once you cut them, them yeah you can have them in arrangements yeah and i just have a bowl um again on a side table in our sitting room um, and they're just these beautiful still lives. And mm. do you know the Europeans, the Northern Europeans, are really so much better at doing that than we are. I, I go to Belgium quite a bit um, on plant hunting and, and Holland and, uh, and Germany, and they have a real tradition in the autumn to have the most beautiful, beautiful autumn wreaths. It's not about Christmas, it's about autumn. And sort of not harvest festival, but much uh, more intimate than that. So it's not like a big... Um, great huge altar of, of, of veg that you might have at Harvest Festival in a church. It's a, it's a more intimate, homely version. And so they might have pumpkins and gourds like we do and the Americans do, but they'll have a much bigger range of really amazing gourds mm. and corn and this extraordinary um, courgette called tromboncino. And they specifically grow things in their veg patch that will last for, for years. For ornamental. For ornamental. Um, and that they dry beautifully. And they will put them up in their attic, just like with the Christmas baubles, mm. um, you know, at the end of autumn, and get out their Christmas and baubles then bring them down and again. then bring them down again. Yeah. And um, I love that. And mm. um, I've been experimenting with a few, few things in the cutting garden to do that with. Do you need to coat them with anything, or do you just let them dry? You don't need to varnish them? Or... It really varies on variety. But this particular corn I'm talking about, strawberry corn, you don't need to do anything. Mm. And, of course, growing all these lovely things leads us very much into food, and you're equally as well-known for your cookery writing and, as I said, award-winning cookery writer are there no end to your talents miss raven it's really quite depressing almost sitting next to you and, and inspirational obviously much more than depressing but it's it, your talent and ability to translate good science into accessible everyday practicalities for not only in the garden but the kitchen what do you tend to grow that you like most working with in terms of food um well veg grown stuff um and I like salad because I can grow salad uh, 365 days of the year just outside my back door. And I, again, it's sort of one of my campaigns is that people just don't realise that um, certainly as long as you don't live a thousand foot up um, in the north of the country, so i.e. In, in, a, in a very frosty place, you can. there are lots of salad leaves that you can grow all the way through the winter. You don't need to go and buy bagged salad. No, and they just taste so much better. And what sort of varieties would you plant? So then? Uh, there's there's a particular Japanese salad leaf called Mitsuna, which I uh, so you know regularly through the winter. But actually, one plant will crop for several months. All the mustards. There's a beautiful, um, very ornamental looking, but also tasty variety called red frills mustard, red dragon mustard, red giant mustard. All these amazing mustards. Then of course salad rocket gets terrible flea beetle in the summer months between May and the end of August. But from August until April, it's a brilliant winter crop. And it doesn't bolt, so it doesn't run up to flower. So it goes on cropping for weeks, months, not weeks. Um, and you can go and pick all these things, just like I was saying with the flowers. 
all these crops are cut and come again. So as long as you pick around the plant rather than cutting out the heart. So mm. with a lettuce, you would cut the heart. If you mm -hmm. grow a continental loose leaf lettuce, things like red salad bowl or solix, and you just pick around. Just or pick the edges and leave the, the heart. Okay. Leave the heart. Then in the winter particularly, it's too much of a strain on that root to replenish the heart, so they tend to die. Mm -hmm. But if you just pick the outer leaves and leave the heart intact, it will go on producing more from the heart for you to pick in three or four days' time. Gosh. And so those are f fabulous. And also chard and mm. Swiss chard with the white stem has a better flavour than the more ornamental rainbow Does it? chard. Yeah, it's a cleaner flavour. It's more like spinach. It's less earthy. Um, and, and how do you pick that sustainably? Is so, there a trick to that? Yeah, again, with that, you, you never cut the heart out um, between August and April. You can uh, um, between uh, April and August. Mm -hmm. But as soon as the growth curves fall off, you then pick around. And what you end up doing um, is you create almost like a little mini trunk and you get this tuft of leaves coming out the top. Mm. But by lifting that crown away from the cold, wet soil, you make a hardier plant. And Gosh. so we've actually analysed it that you can get a plant, if you pick like that, to survive to minus seven, whereas if you take out the heart, it'll die at minus two. And so you really make a big difference as to mm. the months that you can go on picking just by literally changing your harvesting technique. And it's so incredibly economical. I mean, are you yeah. growing all these things from seed? Yeah, everything from seed, everything from seed. So everything costs, you know, a fraction of a packet of seed because you don't mm. need the whole pack. So, And that's right. the other thing with seed is as long as you store it cool and dry and you get a little, you know, when you buy your trainers, you get those silicon sachets. Oh, yes. You yes. keep those, always keep them and right. put them in a Tupperware box so they keep dry. And then whenever you're storing seed, you just take one of those out, get a Tupperware box, put your seeds in that, keep it somewhere cool in what your sort of cool spare room in your house mm. or in the fridge if you've got room. I don't have mm -hmm. room in my fridge because uh, it's so full of all my ferments which yes we might which come we will definitely to. talk about um, so, so the seeds go in a tupperware box with a silicon sachet and then they'll last for um, cut flower seed lasts for about 10 years veg 10 is more like five. years yeah as long as you store it cool and dry oh my goodness and then you just take out a handful of seeds yeah don't use the whole packet you know mm. people tend to think oh well they must know how much seed i need and it's mm. not it's not that it's the cost of the seed is how much is in the packet so you just take out a really small amount and just sow that little amount and then maybe eight weeks later go back and sow it again and actually there's a really good tip when i started out that somebody gave me which is get yourself a, a card index box or a shoe box even mm -hmm. and put card index um sleeves into it you know the, the yes. little cards and then label them february march april may june july da, 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 da. don't bother with january and don't bother with december because you don't sow anything then and then you look on the back of the packet and if it says sow february to april put it in february mm -hmm. sow it in february but then when you've sowed it you put it back into march and you move it on you move it on so whenever you've got that 10 minutes where you think okay i could do a little bit of sowing now whether yeah. it's flowers or veg you go straight to it rather than 25 different coat pockets where you can't find them. <laughs> They're all in the same place. And you know exactly then which are the ones that mm. are relevant to that moment that you've got for sowing. And do you plant straight into the ground or do you do seed trays and then I, replant? I tend to sow into gutter pipes, particularly with the veg and the cut flowers. So I go to a garden centre, I mean, sorry, a builder's merchant, mm -hmm. and get two metre lengths of plastic guttering. Wicks apparently have um, flat bottom ones, I actually have, mm. which are grey. I actually have black curvy bottom ones, which are a bit rocky, but they're fine. I don't <laughs> drill holes in the bottom. I don't block the ends. I just fill them with compost. And then I sow my seed an inch apart, and I mean an inch apart, because mm. that means that I then don't waste any seed. And what you'll find is 
probably all those seedlings will come up. But mm -hmm. you can then put your hand between seedling one and seedling two mm -hmm. and push out seedling one from the the non-blocked end of your gutter pipe Gosh. into the garden. Then you move on to seedling two. And but just you push move, it along. You push, the, the whole gutter pipe moves, let's say, <laughs> six inches to the yeah. right. You push the next one out. So there's no pricking out and no potting on. God, that is absolutely genius. It's, so literally one seed goes yep. in, one inch apart, one more seed. Yeah. And how long would it take to get that little seedling coming up? It's something like Mitsuna or Cosmos Purity, so two of the things we've talked about. If you can give them a little bit, if you've got underfloor heating anywhere, which you might not, <laughs> you will get germination in two days. If it's somewhere cool, it yeah. might take more like a week. Yeah. So it will, it will depend on variety and the condition that you can yeah. give it. But um, that is the one bit of investment that I started with when I wrote my first book, The Cutting Garden, is I bought a horticultural electric blanket. And I built myself mm. a coal frame and I just put this equivalent of an electric blanket, but it's electri electrically sealed. So for outside? For outside. So I literally had a cable going out my cap flap and powering <laughs> this, this little electric blanket. And then what it means is that you just you speed up germination mm. by about three times. Um, right. So if you're wanting to produce quite a lot, then you want mm. this quick throughput, then you can do mm -hmm. it. But you don't need heat. Mm. We talked very briefly on fermentation. Yes. And I know um, from being down with you at Perch Hill that you have had various ferments going and you've written, obviously, in, in Good Good Food. You talk about fermentation and cultured foods as well. What, what are your favourites there? Well, I love kefir very much um do you make it with milk, I, milk yeah, kefir? I do funnily enough i'm just thinking i keep trying to go dairy free and so it's been very much in my mind at the moment because i would really 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 miss uh, my mm. my kefir so i think i'm not i think i might go dairy free apart from kefir which i know sounds a bit weird but uh and i've loved doing my kombuchas um mm -hmm. in the past but i tend to do things and my sauerkrauts, but I tend to do them in too big a volume. And one of the things I've learned from you is keep it small so it's not intimidating. Mm. And I really think just having a kilner jar of, you know, whatever sauerkraut, and, and, and you have inspired me to use so many <laughs> different things, that it doesn't just have to be cabbage and carrot. Um, and I've started putting raw ginger in mine Lovely. and lots of fennel seeds. Fennel seeds are great, aren't they? But just in the kilner jar, it's not scary and mm. it doesn't start going that sort of funny colour, which I find, because I've been doing these big crock pots, and I, I just find it all comes a bit, uh, it's just a bit scary because I'm not using, I'm not eating it quite enough, yes. I think, for that volume. Yeah. And the person who taught me to ferment was actually running a restaurant. And so he taught me in these huge volumes. And, I, mm. and, and I'd rather gone off it until, until you inspired me again to get back into it, which I have been. Um, but so I love all those things. And I love the fact that they're alive. You know, that's yes. the point. It's so sort of charming. Of course, sort of it all comes thing. back to the organisms, doesn't it? Yeah. And, and, and the way they're working with the body. Good, good food. That is very much focusing on seasonal and high quality. Any particular highlights from that book? Um, well, there's certain favourite recipes. Um, there's my one of my absolute favourites of all is a sweet potato dauphinoise. So rather than Adam, my husband, one of his favourite things is, you know, that horrifically heart attack alley uh, potato dauphinoise. <laughs> yes, with all the cream. With and all the cream and everything. And... And, um, and so I tried to make a healthy version of that. And, and basically, rather than using any cream, you use one tin of coconut milk. And you don't want more because then it turns into soup. Mm -hmm. So it's quite dry. Um, but tons and tons and tons, again, of root ginger um, going through it, which just means you don't need salt. You don't need any of those mm. sort of flavour enhancers because ginger does it. And so it's literally 
sweet potatoes cut into quite big chunks, you know, good at least, a, not chunks, uh, slices, at least a centimetre wide, uh, if not more, if not two. Um, and then a can of coconut milk, chilli, a bit of garlic and ginger. And you just mix it all up with your hands and then just shove it in the oven. And, mm. you know, it, it takes, because it, it's so dense, it does take a long time to cook, but not as long as a potato dough from us. So I really... I, I really, that's sort of one of my favourite things. Sweet, sweet potatoes are the most amazing veg, actually. I've really got into them recently, yeah. slicing them quite thinly, making sweet potato crisps yeah. and chips, just little tiny yeah. brushing of olive oil again, keep it in the oven just for, you know, barely 10 minutes and they just yeah. crisp up. Yeah. And the children love it. And also something that I discovered, I think I probably saw this on Instagram, is um, you take a big fat sweet potato and you slice it and you put it in the toaster. Oh, and you wow. use it instead of bread. God, that's <laughs> So you brilliant. can make sweet potato toast and have it with, you know, nut butter or, you know, wow, a bit of marmite or whatever. <laughs> Isn't it really easy? But and one of the things that I learned when I was researching the book, um, which is sort of peel or not to peel was always mm. a thing. And and I I really learned why we shouldn't peel and which is why we should buy organic veg if we possibly can, mm. uh, which is, of course, um, something like a sweet potato has got its immune system its protection against pests and diseases in its outer skin because that's where it's most vulnerable and so the highest concentration of the anthocyanins and its own antioxidants to keep the bugs at bay are in the outer centimeter so if you then peel that off whether it be your squash or your sweet potato or your tomato or whatever it is you know it's not just root veg it's also berry fruit veg um, you are getting rid of the highest concentration of goodness. And so that is the reason that ideally you really should try and peel nothing. Mm. And so even carrots, you just scrub yeah, them. You do, mm. If you possibly can, if they're organic carrots, you just mm. scrub them. And there are some things where the peel just isn't nice. I mean, beetroot, we can't pretend the peel of beetroot is nice. Really. No, but when you bake it, I mean, yeah. I, I bake small baby beetroots. Yeah, baby just beetroots, like, you know, Along with roast potatoes, just bake them all together. And, and then with beetroot, if you want to remove it, remove it after cooking. Okay. I'm sure you know this, but yeah. you, because then it's very it, easy too, as well. It just falls it's off, much easier, it? yeah. But then a lot of the the, um, the micronutrients will actually not be no longer in the outer. It'll have been absorbed into the flesh, so you you actually get rid of less of the goodness, basically. Mm. Fantastic. Sarah, it's such a delight to have you here. Thank you so much. I've, I've, I'm going to be frantically re-listening to this and writing Aww. notes. Um, and you, oh, my you. dear listener, don't have to do that because we will be putting all our podcast notes online with so much. I think these are going to be um, a veritable book of notes and we'd love to have you back oh i would um, absolutely love to we better make it a seasonal a seasonal, a seasonal special we would love that <laughs> thank you very much indeed um there is so much going on in the world of sarah raven there are lots of courses at perch hill you can go to them we've done courses together i've done them on my own i can't recommend them highly enough they are absolutely fantastic don't forget you can find out much more about what we're up to on lizardwellbeing.com we're also on instagram and twitter and all the usual suspects so until next time, thank you very much for being with us and we look forward to seeing you again soon. Bye-bye. sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.